This episode of Stuck in the 80s has been brought to you by... I am the monarch of the sea. The 80s Cruise. Find out more at the80scruise.com. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Stuck in the 80s, it's your host Steve Spears, and today we have a special conversation with the lead singer of A Flock of Seagulls, Mike Score. With me as always, when he was in high school, he had a bird like haircut too, but all his friends called it the Stork. It's Brad in LA. Actually, I think they called me the stork because I was built like a stork. <laughs> I think they super called... skinny legs, <laughs> super tall, carried babies around. Well, only on the weekends. Ate a lot of fish. Mm. Just kind of a creepy overall thing you got going there. Let's go get sushi and not pay, Spearsy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's go get sushi and, and not pay. Anyway, so we, as everyone knows by now, we're going on the '80s cruise here in February. One of the bands that's playing is A Flock of Seagulls. I've bumped into Mike Score, their lead singer and founder and frontman, a couple times over the years. In fact, Brad and I bumped into him in Las Vegas, right? That's true. Well, I was out on the sidewalk, so I kind of saw him through the window. You were trashed that night. I don't think I ever made it inside that club, but people kept bringing me drinks, and I made the mistake of continuing to consume them. That was a hell of a night. You were drunk when you came to our room to pick us up. Uh, yes, you were. I certainly got there in a big hurry. Yeah. I don't drink because drinking affects your decision making. You may be right. I can't decide. <laughs> so anyway, so Mike Score and I have crossed paths a couple times over the years. I was backstage with him during the Regeneration Tour back in 2000. What well, feels like 1997, but I'm sure it was yeah, somewhere seriously. closer to 2008. And... Um, <laughs> Back when we were only in our late 30s. Right. As to, when you know. all of life was still in front of us. <laughs> the world laid out ahead of oh us. Oh, my exactly. God. I, I got to tell you, I mean, we just finished doing our 10th anniversary show, and people are like, ah, oh, does it seem like 10 years? I'm like, yes. Yes, it does. Not the man I knew 10 years ago. Not the years. It's the mileage. Yeah. <laughs> That was a really fun show. That was a good show. It was show a fun too. show. I, it was I, a lot of, I hope people enjoy it as much as we enjoyed making it. There's a lot of pressure. So it was nice to, to do this kind of a show. We haven't done an interview show in a while. So um, because uh, Mike Score is going on the 80s cruise and because we're going on the 80s cruise, I got an opportunity to speak to him. And it occurred to me that 
somewhere along the line, someone gave me his phone number, which I won't reveal here, but it had the same exact area code as my phone number. Interesting. What what does that mean, Steve? So it means that my score is like, uh, I wouldn't say he's my next door neighbor, but he's probably about 20 minutes away. Wow. So anyway. That's amazing. So did you guys go out to lunch or something Yeah, of afterwards? course. We had fish. Uh, oh. <laughs> no. no uh, <laughs> Actually, seagulls will eat anything. Yeah, so. they will, pretty much. <laughs> we had out of the dumpster in the back of my office. It was great. We'd be pulling steel hooks out of them later. So we had a chance to talk, and we talked, and it was an interesting conversation because... The seagulls have been around since 1979. They were they were founded in Liverpool, and they had a really they were like shot out of a cannon in the early 80s. Oh yeah, the the, the first album just <clears throat> like a rocket. Right, and and when you talk to people about their early MTV memories, Flock of Seagulls, Iran always comes up high on the list because that that thing got like unlimited you know play. Oh yeah, early. well, and and I think he talks about this too that that you know there weren't a whole lot of videos in the hopper at MTV and so if you had one it got, you know, a fair bit of airplay. Yeah. So we talk about a variety of things during the uh, show. It's a, it's an interesting conversation. He doesn't have a personal website. He doesn't have a website for his band. He explains all of that. Yeah. He does have a phone. He does have a phone allegedly with my same <laughs> exact area code. But and we talked about a lot of the music and so Brad I have to ask you, I mean we all know the hits, but is there any like um, B sides of a flock of seagulls that you're fond of? Oh, I I really like the first album, and there's some stuff on the on side two that never got released as a single, or I don't think I ever heard as a single. And among those, my favorite is "Modern Love Is Automatic." Jesus. That is truly a rare cut. It'd be interesting. That's a cool to see. song. Oh, it's such a cool song. Yeah, no, you were you were IMing me all week, like modern others. I'm like, yes, yes. It's Flock of Seagulls week. It is. They're reborn in my eyes. They're just amazing. I went back and I was looking at all the footage of their live shows in the early '80s, and yeah. and, and and Mike and I will talk about the US Festival, which they played. If yeah, you ever so get cool. a chance, go to YouTube and do US Festival, a Flock of Seagulls. And there's this amazing video where they're they're being introduced on stage, and you see the band backstage like cowering behind the backdrop, waiting to be introduced, and they're literally like going to town on their on their fingernails. I mean, they're freaking out because wow, in fr- interesting. In front of them is two hundred thousand. Well, it's people. a huge crowd. Yeah, so it's it's really. I mean, it's cute. It's I mean, yeah. not for and, lack and of a better. And Mike Scores' description of of his experience on stage is great. I love that part of the yeah. interview. Um, one of the songs I like, and I hope that we hear it on 80s Cruise, is um, actually from one of their later albums. It's from 1984's The Story of a Young Heart, and the song is The More You Live, The More You Love. You know what I love about that song, too, is you hear it all the time on... Uh, cue the cast register, uh, Satellite's uh, First Wave. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's a great song. Very, very cool song. So here's a trivia quiz. Bradley, has A Flock of Seagulls ever won a Grammy Award? Steve, I know the answer to this one. They have won a Grammy for uh, for one of their songs. Yeah, yes, it, was, it was an instrumental, and the instrumental was called uh, DNA, and here it is.
So winning the winning the best rock instrumental is is kind of like what it remind me of is I used to homebrew beer when I had more free time, <laughs> and I always thought about entering my beer in the L.A. County Fair for judging. And I thought, okay, the key here is to pick a category of beer that nobody makes. And then there'll be less entries. So I kind of feel like Best Rock Instrumental is a little bit like that. You should name your beer that. That should be the name of your beer. Best Rock Instrumental? <laughs> yeah. If I ever brew beer again, I'll, I'll make some oh, of that. Oh, God. I'll never brew beer. I have all the stuff. I just don't have the time. Yeah. We should tell people that we're both drinking Bloody Marys right now, mm, yes. which is very rare. I, I haven't touched one in years. But uh, so the show is... Right now is the high water mark from a sobriety standpoint. Steve doesn't usually let the tomato juice get in the way of his enjoyment of vodka. No, not at all. It seems like there's way too many vitamins in my stomach right now. <laughs> well, that's why it's a morning drink. There's a it's t-shirt fortif- logo it's fortifying. for fortifying. Anyway, um, I don't want to put it off any further. One last thing I should say before we go into the interview. Um, it was recorded via Skype. It's a little – the audio is a little muddy. So you might want to like you know put your headphones on or turn the little dial up a little bit to hear it a little bit better. Drive a little slower so the road yeah. noise isn't so bad. Mike and I are, are both very soft-spoken people, very sensitive, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, enough yapping. Here is our interview with a flock of seagulls, Mike Score. This is Steve Spears. How you doing? I bumped into you a few times over the the last seven or eight years. I was um, backstage during the Regeneration tour in uh, 2007 or 2008, and I have a photo taken with you. And uh, I think uh, I was at one of the Lost 80s concerts in Las Vegas a few years ago, and I met you at the pre-concert uh-huh. party. So it's after all these years, it's it's, oh, fi- okay. it's finally nice to have a, a proper interview with you. I, I read somewhere that you live in Florida now. Yeah, I live pretty close to Cocoa Beach. Okay, I'm over in uh, Orlando. Oh, you are? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. I, I just moved here a few years ago. I'm over in the Winter Park area. Oh, yeah, I used, I used to live in Oviedo. Oh. When I, first, when I first moved to Florida, I went to the Keys and then down, then up to Oviedo and then over to the waterside. What, what drew you to Florida, of all places to live? Just because I was into boats, basically, so... Uh, I I'd been in LA, you know, and looked around. I didn't think much of the the sailing scene. Then I went on a a sailing trip down through the Keys and through um, through the Virgin Islands, and I was like, Florida's the place to be because <laughs> then you can set sail for all that stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's ironic you say that because you know we're talking today because you're one of the headlining bands on the '80s cruise. What was your what was your reaction when you uh, were first approached on the idea of playing on a cruise ship full of '80s fans? Well, it's it's a different venue and that's cool. You know, it's kind of like if somebody asked me to play on a mountaintop, I'd go, oh, it's different. You know, rather than say just a club or a, an outside gig somewhere. You know, it's it's a different thing and it should it should it should because it's different be more fun, different fun. It's it's gonna be kind of unexpected because this is the first one that this uh, company has ever done. So it's there's really like so much mystery surrounding it about what's gonna happen and what it's gonna be like. The, ne- the nearest thing I can think to it is um, in in 1982 we played on a a riverboat down in New Orleans 
and it actually we didn't know it at the time because we you know we loaded up we sound checked we went to get something to eat and then by the time we'd come up up back on deck we were like up the river <laughs> we didn't even know it was it was actually going to be you know on on the water we thought it was just fixed to the dock <laughs> but it actually went on a little cruise up and down the river and that was a great gig oh yeah speaking of unusual gigs um one of the first times I ever saw you, you know, perform anywhere was on television back in 1983. Um, the Seagulls played the US Festival out in California. It is my very great pleasure to introduce to you right now a band from Liverpool, England. Please welcome a flock of seagulls. I'm curious what memories you have of, of that uh, event. Well, for me, mainly, flying in over the crowd in a helicopter to backstage. Uh, we we just played in Paris the night before, and we got on a... I'm not even sure if it was a, you know, like a charter jet, but it brought all our equipment and everything from Paris dropped us at LAX, and I think a helicopter picked us up from LAX and took us to the S Festival with all our gear, like two helicopters. So that was crazy. Um, and really what I remember about that day was as soon as we landed, I did about 40 interviews, one after the other. <laughs> and then I had like 10 minutes to get ready, and then we were on stage. And the stage was the biggest thing I'd ever seen in my life. My guys, you know, my, my bandmates looked like they were an inch tall <laughs> either side of me. So, and before that, we were really used to playing, you know, some big places, but not where we couldn't literally be in touch, you know. But that stage was so huge. And uh, it was, it, looking out over that crowd was just crazy because it went all the way, everywhere. Everywhere you looked, there was a crowd. Was it the largest crowd you ever played to? Um, it probably was. I mean, we were told, I think, that there was like 200,000 people wow. at the stage at any one time, you know, depending on the band. Um, but there was, wasn't there like a million people there or something or half a billion people? Yeah, something, something like that. Something like that. And at, at any time, like 200,000 were, you know, watching the stage. So the rest were all off getting water and going for a pee. Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm so I'm so glad I watched it on TV and wasn't there in person. <laughs> the uh, right, right. I think, plus, I think I was only uh, uh, 14 years old, maybe at the time. So, um, wow, yeah, You'd love to even be there, probably. Yeah, you even be around, you know, um, to see it on TV. Cause yeah, they they didn't do that much stuff on TV like that then, did they? No, I think they showed like. Um, Oh, it must have been on MTV. They must have shown a few hours of it, like every day, I think. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing the highlights. At yeah, the there, was, there was no Palladium then or anything like that, you know? Yeah. Um, if I could take you back farther, I mean, let me let me start by asking, do you remember um, any of the first concerts you ever saw in person? The first concert I saw was, I think that was about 14 or 15. I went to see a band called Stackwaddy. They were a real heavy blues band. Hmm. Um, and I kind of sneaked into the gig. It was in a pub. And um, that was one of the first. They were just real dirty, heavy blues. 
And after that, I started to go to the cavern. Yeah. Was there... there was, you know, bands on every night at the cavern, so it was simply a case of uh, getting down there early enough so that nobody bugged you because you were young and going and hiding until <laughs> midnight when the bands came on. Was there a moment in seeing live music where you thought, oh my God, this is what I want to do? There was, there was a, a time when we used to go to Eric's, which was when I was probably, you know, 21, 22. And we used to see bands there all the time. And we used to look at them and go, wow, these guys have got record deals. And, you know, for me personally, I was like, I'm sure I could do that, you know? And I, being a hairdresser, I, I did a lot of... Um, a lot of local bands, you know, I cut their hair and stuff like that. We were like a punky style hairdressers. So they used to come in there, we used to do colors and stuff on them. And that way we'd say, you know, we'd cut their hair and then we'd say, where are you playing? And we got into that. And eventually one of the guys I met came around to my house and taught me how to play bass a little bit. And from then on, I was a bass player until synthesizers came out. And then I immediately drop bass and make these things look more interesting. I've read a couple of places um, in interviews that you've done where you say that you don't think of yourself as a as a great musician. You know that you're you you don't put yourself up in that category, which is kind of a rare sort of thing to say. I was just kind of wondering, you know, is that something that kind of still plays around your head or do you yeah, think... Kind of- I'm not really interested in the technical side of playing. I'm more interested in songwriting. Um, so I've never really bothered to practice, you know. If, if it comes to me, it comes to me and I mess around and find things that sound good to me. And uh, that's how I do it. I don't sit down and go, I got to learn a scale or I got to learn to play faster or slower. I just make it up. And to me, that's more interesting than spending six hours a day, you know, running through scales and stuff like that. If I need that kind of stuff, I can call someone up and go, hey, can you do something with this little idea that I've got, you know, and and they'll come over and and flesh it out. Um, But to me, the lit- literally sitting and practicing is mm, not in my head at all. You know, I mean, when you talk to 80s fans, they're always going to say, you know, Iran is the, the the signature song for the Seagulls. But but what I really love about listening to satellite radio these days is that, especially on First Wave, I, the DJs are playing all the other great Seagull songs like uh, Telecommunication and The More You Live, mm-hmm. The More You Love. I'm just curious, uh, what other songs from your catalog do you personally find yourself most attached to? It changes all the time. Um, you know, Wishing to me is is a favorite song because when I wrote it, I, it was literally, I used to have this idea that I'd like to write timeless songs, you know what I mean? Sure. Kind of like the Beatles wrote timeless songs. You could put them out at any time and they'd be hits. And, um, and I thought when I wrote Wishing that that was the first real timeless song.
that one is like my benchmark, you know, and, and Space Age before that was, was timeless too. Um, I think I ran it just because it was the big hit, so most people look to that, you know, it's for the, the iconic sound. Right. And well, and of course the video, I mean, um, it got such heavy play. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we were lucky in that case that MTV had just started and we had a video for them. So I think they only had five videos in the first few weeks that they were open and they played everything all the time, all of those five. So we were just one of the lucky ones. We went into people's houses that had never heard anything like we were doing. So, all those kids in Kansas and, you know, out, out in the Midwest there, whatever, they were seeing something that probably wouldn't come through their town for a couple of years. And they were suddenly seeing it on TV. So we gained a, a lot of fun from that, I think. Do, do you remember much about the filming of that video? Uh, I think it took one afternoon. We talked to the producer and the, the uh, cameraman in the morning. They set up the idea, and we went out and got ourselves fancied up. Came back, and about two hours later, they took all the stuff away to edit it. Uh, as far as I remember, we went into the record company the next morning. We saw it. Everyone agreed that it was pretty cool, and it was off to MTV, and I think it was on two days later. Oh, my God, what so a turnaround. Quite, quite, yeah, yeah, it was, it was quite a... From never having heard of what a video is, suddenly having one on MTV was like, you know, like a, like the flash going off. You know what I mean? It was like zoom, it's there. It, it's a shame that I mean I don't know how you feel about what came of MTV. I know a lot of people my age kind of just lament the fact that it's not what it was when we were, you know, kids 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's not music television anymore, is it? No. It's, it's games and reality television. Do you think that's because the way people consume music these days has just fundamentally changed? I guess consume is a good word because, you know, people just download what they want and listen to it for as long as they want. It, to me, it used to be, you know, when I was a kid, it was like, wow, my favorite band is putting an album out and it's not out for three weeks. As soon as it was out, I'd be there, you know, going to get it. But now it's just, oh, it's online. Here it is. Here's the video. It's on. But there doesn't seem to be to be that kind of focus that there was on MTV because it was so fresh and it was so new and it was so much for younger people. I think that um, it gave them a great focus, you know? Yeah. Now it's just like anything is available all the time, anywhere. How do you still listen to music, Ted? Do you listen to, do you download it? Do you still have vinyl? How do you listen to music? To tell you the truth, I haven't listened to any new stuff because every time I put the radio on and try and find something new that's good, it's all rubbish. Oh yeah, I agree. It all, it. Sounds, yeah. it, all, it all sounds the same to me. If you listen to heavy metal, it all sounds like one song. If you listen to alternative it all sounds like the same song over and over again. Um, I've gone kind of backwards. You know, I listened to what I listened to before the 80s came along. Um, my favorite thing right now, which we I just started listening to again, is War of the Worlds. The Jeff Wayne War of the Worlds uh, album. 
that's how it was for the next 10 nights. A flare spurting out from Mars. Bright green, drawing a green mist behind it. A beautiful but somehow disturbing sight. Ogilvy, the astronomer, assured me we were in no danger. He was convinced there could be no living thing on that remote, forbidding planet. The chances of anything coming from Mars are a million to one, he said. It's like a rock opera. Um, and I listen to a lot of stuff that I used to listen to because it's, um, it's difficult to find anything where I literally go, wow, that's really cool. Oh, I'm the same way. I, I think everything I listen to these days is recorded between 1974 and 1987, maybe. Right, right. Yeah, because even the late 80s, I was kind of tuning out because I thought that the music had changed too too differently for what I really wanted anymore. Yeah, I mean, I used to like Muse, but even they've gone kind of, I don't know, overblown and uh, very samey. I think it's, I think what it is is partly in production, the technicality of it is now like locked down. So every guitar sounds the same. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's not a kid in a garage learning to play guitar anymore. It's just, uh, you go in the studio, they plug in, they put, they want preset number four and that's how the guitar sounds. Yeah. It's, it's sad. I mean, to me, it's like, I guess that's why I'm kind of stuck in that era that I'm stuck in because I, I don't find anything magical or, or, uh, surprising about, things today or, or inspiring right it, that's the perfect word you nailed it inspiring yeah you know, i don't hear anything nothing that... inspires me even my my own old stuff inspires me more than some people's new stuff wow that's great <laughs> <laughs> i love hearing stuff like that that makes me feel so much better about what i write about um right i noticed when i was looking around earlier today for um for a seagull's uh facebook page or official website but they don't exist do you are you is that something that you don't feel like you need or just does, you don't connect with? Um, well, you know, I grew up without the internet. So much as I love it for Scout Nebay and stuff like that, for me to sit down and every day, you know, tell people what color underwear I'm going to wear today and stuff like that, it just doesn't work. And I find that, that side of it really boring. You know, you must have a Twitter account. You must have you must have a web account. You must have everything, you know? And it's like, I don't want to spend my whole day just just filling in a website with rubbish, you know? It might cost me fans and it might cost me uh, gigs, but I'm not going to, you know, I have other things in my life besides the flock of people, so I don't want to spend my whole day just just trying to fill up a web page with interesting non facts Someone told me that uh, someone from the '80s told me that exact same thing a few months ago. It was um, Tom Bailey from uh, Thompson Twins. Thompson Twins, right? Yeah, I, I, I he said he didn't even have a television set at his place. Well, that's going a bit far. <laughs> <laughs> but he was he was definitely not into he 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 has um, like a you know Facebook stuff and all that. But someone else does it for him. He says he doesn't want anything to do with it. So I tried. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I, I, I totally get that. Um, you know, one thing for new bands, it's great because it's part of what they, you know, it, there's not record companies to do stuff for them anymore. So they need to get as much exposure. So yeah, have, have your webpage, tell people all about it. They can go out and find out about you. 
but a band like us that's had that's got Grammys and stuff like that, you know, people don't know who we are. There's plenty of other web pages that people have written, uh, so I don't need to run one. You know what I mean? Sure, absolutely. A few years ago, it's probably been more than a few years ago now, but everything, I'm, I've got to the age, I'm 47 now, where everything feels like, if it was even 15 years ago, it still feels like it was a few years ago. Um, VH1 had a TV series, Bands Reunited, and uh, mm-hmm. you know the, the Seagulls were on there, and I thought it was a really amazing episode. I thought that was really, you, know, you learn a lot about the band. It was, it was a fun thing to watch. I was just curious what, what your experience was like on that show, or what your memories are of that. Well, you know, first of all, I didn't want to do it. And then I thought about it and I was like, okay, if I don't do it now, it may never happen. So, yeah, we got together and we we practiced, we rehearsed a little bit and everything seemed fine. But then after a few days and uh, a couple of gigs, you know, it's um, the same things that, that broke the band up in the first place started to reappear. And... I personally, I went, oh, now I see why we split up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, and, I, and it got to a point I just said, well, that's it. I'm not, I, I didn't want to carry on with this in the first place when this happened, and I don't want to carry on with it now after it's happened. So I just said, I'm going to go back, and I'm, you know, I own the name of the band and all that stuff. So I just went back to my my new version, and it makes me much happier. It was great for the nostalgia, and it was great to see the guys again and play. And it did have some magic, but it had the same same problems. Sure, it's it's like going on a date with your ex-wife. You suddenly realize why you got divorced in the first place. Exactly. That's yeah. just you know, it's a perfect uh, a perfect balance right there. Yeah. So, what future plans do you have for the Seagulls, or do you see yourself focusing more on your solo material? Well, right now, I'm, you know, to me, the, the Seagulls was basically a product of the 80s. And that little body of work right there cap- captures the 80s. Um, my solo stuff, I've, I've actually always wanted to do a solo album. It just took me 30 years to get around to it. Sure. You know, because I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't want to rush headlong in. So I just went, oh okay, I'll do it one day, and suddenly it was 30 years later. Um, and I'm already, I'm working on a follow-up to it. But again, I'm not in any massive rush. I, I, the good thing about not having a record deal is you do things at your own pace and stuff like that. Um, whereas in the old days, it would have been, if you don't have it in by next Tuesday, you know, <laughs> then then you're, you're not going on the roster kind of thing. But... Um, Basically, that album was a few songs that I thought, these are good enough to go out, but I don't want to make a Seagulls album. So I did my solo. I'd like to do another solo. And I wouldn't actually mind now working on a Seagulls album, but it may not be anything like old Seagulls albums. Right. I mean, you see bands like Duran Duran, which... You know, they're still together. You know, at least half the band is still kind of there. And they're still putting uh-huh. out albums. And sometimes the albums they put out, the, you know, the fans really like, like the, the last one. And then they, they'll put out one that just sounds too too modern and too today. And you kind of wonder if they're 
you sort of kind of wonder sometimes if they're having an identity crisis. Like, are they, do they not know who they are anymore? Or do they think there's something other than they were? And well, you know, the, the thing is, I think that's not the band's problem. That's fans problem. The fans want a band to stay as it was when it was a big hit and when it affected their lives. But the people in the band, you know, they want to move on and write different songs and they're influenced by the last, say, 30 years of music, you know, whatever they've listened to. So to expect any band from the 80s to write another album like the 80s is, is, is kind of ridiculous, really, because it's going to have different influences to what they had in the 80s. Right. So it, it may be great for fans if Duran Duran come out with another Rio or something, right? Sure. But it probably isn't that, it's not that exciting for the band to do that. I mean, I've been asked a million times, can you can you rewrite Iran? And I go, no, because Iran wrote itself. <laughs> and uh, I don't go out and go, I'm going to write an Iran. I just play around and something comes to me. And I don't know whether it's going to be modern or nostalgic or old or heavy or country or alternative or ambient. I don't know what it's going to be, you know? Sure. So I think, I think fans have to give the band a chance to show them where they're at now, not stick them in a cubby hole from 30 years ago. I really appreciate your time tonight. Um, really, like I said, looking forward to seeing you again play live. You know we're playing at the Hard Rock, right? Oh, in Orlando? Yeah. No, I didn't, because you don't have a website we're or a Facebook page. The... <laughs> <laughs> we're playing there on the July the 30th. Okay. Well, I'll try to make that then. At the Hard Rock Hotel, the Velvet oh, Sessions. The, oh, the Velvet Sessions. I've never been to one of those. I've been wanting to go. Uh, the, really good. Yeah, the Psychedelic Furs were just there, I think, a few weeks ago, and I, I wasn't able to uh-huh. make it. Excellent. Well, you know, if you want to get down there, that's where we'll be. Okay, that sounds good then. Hey, Mike, I, I, okay. I appreciate the phone call. This has been a great conversation. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Have a good night. All right. Thanks for doing Bye. There we go. Mike Score from A Flock of Seagulls. What surprised you, do you think, about that interview? Well, I, I was I was kind of surprised at his candor about, I'm not a very good musician. I don't have any interest in being a musician. Who wants to practice? I found that hilarious. Uh, but, I, you know, if he wants to focus on songwriting, I think that's that's great. He knows what he wants to do. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was really funny. Kind of refreshing, maybe, for a musician to say, that's eh, not really my first thing. He's not shy about it at all. The one, yeah. the one thing that I was... I was um, I don't want to say I was embarrassed by it, but I felt bad because he and I were getting along about how much we didn't like current music and everything. And then I kind of stepped on my uh, dick and said, oh, you know, you know, the whole Duran Duran, people making new music and people not connecting with it. And then he said, "Yeah, he kind of called you out on that. Yeah. And that's fair. You know, I mean, when he explains it that way, that, hey, you know, bands evolve, they're influenced by new things and they want to write about those new things. Well, who am I to be a jerk about it? Well, and it reminded me of something that, you know, your favorite rock band that has moved on, uh, U2, said a long time ago. You know, Bono said, look, I'm in a rock band. I'm not in a folk band. You know, rock bands do different things. We want to keep moving. 
But I'd also, at the beginning of the interview, he also says, you know, I turn on the radio and everything now is just crap, which, you know, I get a little tired of that. I, obviously, I prefer the 80s music, but I'm not ready to throw everything under the bus. I am. I may not like it, but that doesn't mean it's garbage. I, I am ready to throw everything. Is that too accepting? Um, you've got kids and you're in a different situation. You have to sort of find some sort of common ground to connect with your kids. And so I just don't have the energy to hate on new music. Oh, really? It doesn't take me much energy at all. It comes naturally like breathing. (laughs) I really don't. I just, it it drives me. I'm sure that somebody could go out there and throw together a CD. (laughs) CD, like anybody burns CDs anymore, but, (laughs) oh, I'm so (laughs) 90s. Um, yeah. Somebody could throw together a playlist, if I have to use the modern terminology, Ooh. of 10 or 12 songs that are current that I probably would love. You know? Yeah. I, I, but going to the trouble of looking at four of them is. But, but if I expect to find those, those songs in the top 40 today, I will be sadly disappointed because they're not there. I mean, I think yeah. the best music today is not the music that's dominating the airwaves. It's the, it's, it's, it's off the airways. It's you know, it's little yeah. things in the, in the corners. Some sure. So the other thing I'll say about this interview is it really kind of rehab Flock of Seagulls a little bit in my mind because I mean they've they've let's let's be honest they're they've been a punching bag for me for the last few years. You know we've seen them a few times live and they they just haven't been great. I haven't thought they've been very good, and it's just been like oh yeah, Flock of Seagulls is playing. Of course they are. Ha ha ha. But you know, listening to him talk a little bit, you you know, I, I'm a little more connected to it. I went out and bought the first Flock of Seagulls album on my phone the other day, so I could listen to the whole thing again. I haven't heard it in a long time, and I'm like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. I'm back to kind of looking forward to seeing him on the cruise. Yeah, I think the problem with the Flock of Seagulls live these days has been we've seen them in venues that are not good live venues either. We've seen them on outdoor stages where they had five minutes to set up. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, it's 100 degrees outside. You know, everybody's melting. Everybody's at the end of their <laughs> Yeah, rope. we didn't have the lights on us. or Right. I mean, I think that on the 80s cruise, they're going to sound a lot better. They're going to sound much more polished than, than the, t- the couple times that you and I have seen them lately. So I'm looking forward to it. And, and, I'm, and I'm grateful that, you know, that they were there in the early 80s. I mean, that music, those core – Six or seven songs that we all know by heart are are important to me in the foundation of the '80s sound. Yeah. So to me, they're they're always going to be an important player. Yeah, I agree, and and I think most of it rests on. I mean, they had some other hits, but I think a lot of it rests on that first album. One of the things that I didn't realize. Did you know that that first album is people say it's a concept album about being abducted by aliens? Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. I found that out this morning. I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unusual. You don't think of a new wave uh, band as doing a concept album. And keep no. in mind, at the time, too, in, in the early 80s with MTV, too, the idea of what an album was was already starting to be diluted. I, yeah. mean, I mean, concept albums kind of died for lack. I mean, whether people yeah. wanna, whether people want to acknowledge it or not. They, those died in the seventies, for the most yeah, part. Yeah, I can think of a couple examples in the eighties. Yeah, but they like weren't Yellow's Time. Sure, but they were, t- but they were albums. They were bands that weren't like MTV bands. Uh, good, good point. Good point. I mean, MTV, for as much as we loved it in the early eighties, it had some negative effects on music too. I mean, and one of the negative effects it has was, was it kind of demolished the idea of or the the magic and the mysticism of an album. 
Well, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that. That you know, do you think that MTV was the beginning, the seeds of the singles culture that we have now? Well, I mean, the singles to me, the singles culture had been around before. I mean, I remember buying forty fives. Yeah, you're right. Before then, but I think there was a time when albums became very special as an art form, and I don't think MTV did it any favors whatsoever. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know what else would be fair enough for right about now? The, the Seggies. Ah, by the magical refrain, it must be time for Reader Mailbag. In the wake of our 10th anniversary episode, which uh, we released on July 22nd, 10 years to the day after the very uh, first episode of Stuck in the 80s. The mind boggles. It does. We got a couple of emails. So one is from Beth in Turkey, who will be on the 80s cruise with us. Woohoo! Brad, what does she have to say? Beth writes, hi, Brad and Steve. Hi, Brad. You know how cute I always thought you were. Just wanted to wish you guys a very happy 10th anniversary. I can't believe it's been 10 years. My favorite memory is the Deborah Foreman episode, even though it was a sad one. But having Deborah Foreman on was great. She was so sweet and really, dare I say, a classic 80s icon for me. Although I miss Sean, Brad has been a fantastic ad. I feel like he's a friend, even though we've never met in person. Aw, Beth. Besties. Thanks for all the podcasts and for being my best travel companion around the world. Here's to another 10 years. See you on the cruise. Awesomely stuck in the 80s. Beth living in Turkey. Uh, another 10 years? I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll see. Yeah, you know, never say never. At this point, I'm willing to commit to another two years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't signed my contract extension yet with no. the podcasting headquarters. So, uh, it, you know, uh, it, it, renews, it renews every week at oh, really? Saturday uh, at midnight. Sorry about I that. I thought I was holding out for more money. We got a second letter from G. Ray. And this is the guy who's been listening to the show from the start um, like on a tear. And he's now up to 275. And for those people who don't know. Uh, it's about to get into some very dark times, G. Ray. 275 is the last show we did in St. Pete when Sean was still on the cast. So uh, uh, here's what uh, G. Ray had to say. Go ahead, Brad. Okay. G. Ray writes, hi, guys. Just got done with episode 275. Epic, sad, surprising, and magical. I was shocked to find out that you, Spearsy, were the one that left the paper and took the podcast to Orlando. Of course, I knew it was going to end, but I had it in my brain that Daly was the one that bailed. But it was you, you little bitch. <laughs> nice. Profanity. That's fair. That's fair. Harsh but fair. G-Ray continues. I've also been listening to the most recent podcast concurrently, and I must admit it has been fun tapping this beast at both ends. Surely an STD is coming my way. Your balls itch. <laughs> the show now has less of a coke-fueled emotional explosion to topics from the 80s to more of an analytical look at albums, movies, etc. But what has remained are the stories from your youth that you associated with the 80s, and that has been the podcast strength. I've been desperately awaiting an episode that dealt with the worst song from the 80s, but it does not appear to be coming. I offer you Wham Rap by Wham. I don't know how I feel about this, Steve. Do I have to keep reading it? I'm going to take it from here because uh, Brad's crying. <laughs> he loves that. You love that song. I, actually, that album is one of my absolute guilty pleasures. I, I, do I love totally don't get you, but that's I fine. Know, I know. Do I have to defend it? I'm just going to state it as a fact. It's one of my favorites. It is, and nobody gets that about you, but that's okay. That's okay. As soon as I clear the bloody Mary out of my throat, I'll, I'll continue. Um, no, I'll it's really tart. 
You didn't tell me that this thing is really uh, – it doesn't have the clean finish. The tomato juice is this, brings a certain acidic yeah, to the drink. Yeah, yeah. I thought about if you were going to make a Bloody Mary, I would make a whiskey. But I thought a whiskey at one in the afternoon was not a good idea. So anyway, uh, G-Rate continues. Wham rap is so bad because it reminds me of my date with Trisha G, the closest night I ever came to a sure thing moment. A sure thing, no questions asked, no no strings attached. No guilt involved. A sure, sure thing. My plans were aligned, and I knew that night was the night we'd make history. As sure as... Well, you get it. My whole life, I never had a sure thing. We were on our way to a dance club, and she puts on her favorite cassette, Music from the Edge of Heaven. I'm not defending that one, by the way. (laughs) I could stomach wham a little bit and pretended to get into the songs as we drove. I'm Your Man only seemed to confirm my conviction that we were going to get busy. Then Wham Rap 86 comes on. I said, what the hell? Isn't this from their first album? She was so happy that they reissued it because rap was becoming more mainstream. I, I told her the song was about a guy who was living off the government because he refused to work and get down in the dirt. Yeah, he chose to cruise. He's going to live his life sharp as a knife. He's found his groove and he just can't lose, Steve. Anyone star I, from head to toe? Cool Cat Flash is going to let you know. I'm a soul boy. I'm a dough boy. Takes pleasure in leather. I believe in joy. I told her, not only was it a shitty message... But the song blew. They were another example of why rap should be left to LL Cool J and run DMC. I told her the song should have been left at its original grave on Fantastic. <gasps> then I said she probably liked it because it reminded her of her 30-something-year-old brother who was still living at home. Boy, he's trying to unclose this deal as fast as he can. We've all been there, Brad. J-Ray continues. Game over. No love for me. Just a long night back in my bedroom <laughs> looking at Mary Stuart Masterson photos. And if you need to know, yes, she looked good wearing my future. <laughs> G-Ray can write, man. I'm telling you, he's dropping the references here. G-Ray concludes, since you probably have no sad story associated with Wham Rap, you have overlooked its place as one of the worst songs of all time. I will forgive you because I am stuck in the 80s. G-Ray. I, I disagree. Um, I don't I'm not going to get into it with you, G-Ray, but I think you're wrong. Back in the day, like it must have been like eight years ago, we did a series called Horrible Hits of the 80s. Right. That probably wouldn't have even made it onto the I list because it, it wasn't did. really a hit. Well, we what we did was it was 10 episodes and we went through each year and we looked at the top 100 hits of each year. So if Wham Rap had charted during any one of those years, then yes, we would have considered it. Yeah, I don't think it charted. The thing is, I mean... I don't remember how many songs we picked back then. We may have picked 10. Yeah. I'm just guessing we picked 10. And so we, and I remember it was me, Kathy, Wass, and Sean Daly. And we really like fought like cats and dogs over which 10 songs to pick. And for the most part, it wasn't difficult. There are a lot of really bad songs. Yeah, there's some turkeys. There are some turkeys. (laughs) So when you look at Wham Rap, you're kind of like, yeah. I personally file it under the, you know, non-offensive. It's definitely silly to see these two white Englishmen rapping, but... I don't know. There's some Wham songs that would rank higher on my list of most hated songs than uh, yeah, the newer you know. stuff. I really am no. not as fond of just well, practically anything actually. Um, you know, I always like rail against. I'm always like promoting the idea of uh, bands getting back together and touring, but I'm not so sure I would do that with Wham. 
But, uh, well, I think it might be nice for Andrew Ridgely to get a steady paycheck for a few months. I'm sure he's doing just fine. <laughs> uh, as always, we love your emails, especially when they have a great story like this. Absolutely. I don't get enough chances to practice my dramatic chops anymore. Um, as always, email us at sit80s at gmail.com or steve in the 80s at gmail.com or brad in the 80s at gmail.com. What's happening, hot stuff? Uh, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. Um, as you might remember from a few weeks ago, we had a, a what I considered to be a very mysterious movie montage. Ooh. But it wasn't all that mysterious. Plenty of people got it. So the montage is basically five movies, all female parts. Seen the new Playboy? Good. Oh, Derek's t- All right. I like sex. <laughs> I mean that by female uh, acting parts, not female oh, body oh, parts. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, That's that a different montage. That would have been a different montage. That's for our other podcast. Very inappropriate. So the idea was if you can get all five of them and the, got to name the movie and the actress, then um, we will enter you for the drawing to get the autographed photo of the lovely, the talented Leah Thompson. Yeah. Who is not, by the way, one of these answers? I'm sure everyone thought she would be, but no. So let's play the montage one last time. Number one. I couldn't help but notice that you two groups of people are about to start killing each other. And I was wondering if you could please just wait on that until we could get off the train. Number two. Maybe we work for Joel now. Number three. Thank God it's not sticky. I just hate it when it's sticky. Number four. If you close your eyes, you can see the music. You can, too. Number five. I'm sorry things got so screwed up. Wow, that's really all I wanted to say. Okay. For those keeping score at home, number one is Adventures in Babysitting with Elizabeth Shue. Number two, Risky Business with Rebecca de Mornay. Woohoo. Number three, and I thought nobody would get this one right, but a lot of people did. My Chauffeur with Deborah Foreman. So do I get in trouble if I confess I don't think I've ever seen My Chauffeur? It doesn't get played on tv nearly enough it's pretty good it's not bad you should watch it okay um number four flash dance with jennifer beals and number five about last night with demi moore nice so brad who are among our winners our winners of this prestigious montage contest include dangerous dan and chino hills chicago neil carol jansen Tim Danner, Ryan the Pirate in Nashville, DJ in Clinton, Robert Jordan, Tom telling Crom to go to hell in Austria, Richard in Edelong Beach, Australia, and Bryant in Northern Virginia. Let's spin the wheel and find out who won the autograph photo. And the winner is... It's Chicago Neil. Excellent. Nice. Okay, so right, Neil, Chicago Neil, send us your snail mail address, and you get the photo of uh, the lovely Leah Thompson. Mail me, mail me one deep dish pizza, and I will mail you a photo. Oh my God! Speaking of deep dish pizza, um, <laughs> something I never thought we'd go on a tangent on today, but I, in here in Florida, there's they don't really have deep dish pizza. No, um, we have no indigenous pizza here. Wow, just like the German food problem. <laughs> 
But um, but for some reason, the grocery store in my neighborhood sells the frozen uh, deep dish pizzas from uh, Pizza Uno, I think it is. Yeah. Do you want to know why they sell those, Steve? Why? Because they, they got some demographic information that you'd moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> well, it's paying like, dividends. We got to stock this stuff. Because I, I buy it every week nearly. I know it's crap. I know it's I know a, I know that a it's not good for me and b it's not even a good representation of deep dish pizza but I don't care. I don't care. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. What about that school in Laredo? Did you burn it down? No way, guy. We don't do schools. <laughs> if you know it, email us at sitas at gmail.com, Steve in the eighties or Brad in the eighties at gmail.com. Tune in next week to find out if you are a winner. <laughs> Oh, uh, Mr. Gore, friend of name that 80s tune. Hey, you know the deal here. We play a segment of a song from the 80s. If you get it right, you get entered into a drawing for the uh, beloved Stuck in the 80s bottle opener. Wow, this is like a twofer yeah. podcast. We're giving away two things. Making Brad do twice as much work. Well, one still just one trip to the mailbox. Three times if you consider he has to edit the show. Uh, uh, that's just part of the ground we walk on. Pay attention. Here was last week's clip. That's I Drove All Night by Cindy Lauper. Dare I say a classic? D- really? Again, I, I'm trying to find stuff to annoy you, and I didn't do a good job. No, I like Cindy Lauper. I mean, not as an interview person, but as a no, a it's just, just late '80s. That's a cool song. No, I mean, I, in my mind, her stuff is pretty timeless. So, yeah, read some of yeah, the winners. That's true, it's true. Okay, so winners. We got a bunch of winners. I wasn't sure how many people would get this, but uh, here we go. Winners this week include Charles from Yorktown, Josh in Too Hot, Birmingham. Lisa from Norman, Oklahoma, Edward in El Paso, Oswaldo Jimenez, Matt in Connecticut, Pinhead, Sean Fitzgerald, Sabalon in Georgia, Peter Ryan, Scott in New Hampshire, Phil from Adelaide, Marie of Bradenton, Florida, Trinette Mackey, Angelic from Croatia, and Joseph Perdue. And let's spin the wheel and find out who wins the bottle opener. looks like it's going to be Scott, New Hampshire. You are today's lucky winner. As always, uh, just send us your snail mail address and we'll find a way to get that to you. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us. You know the email addresses by now. And tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Back to the 80s on the first ever 80s cruise. That's right, seven days in the most radical party to ever hit the high seas with a totally awesome lineup of artists that define the sound of the decade. Join Huey Lewis and the News, Richard Marks, Starship, Cool and the Gang, A Flock of Seagulls, Modern English, Naked Eyes, Tiffany, Wang Chung, and Jesse's Girl, the ultimate 80s party band. 
and the original MTV VJs, Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, and Alan Hunter. As we cruise to exotic ports of call like Grand Turk, San Juan, St. Thomas, and the private island of Half Moon Key, don't forget to pack your best 80s looks because we're having a prom night, a movie costume party, pajama party, and neon beach party. You can't miss this. Sailing from February 28th through March 6th, 2016. For more information, log on to the80scruise.com or call 844-384-8080. And we're back. We have a few minutes left. And I know we've been yapping a lot about the 80s cruise this this uh, podcast, but uh, it's only because time's running out and we don't want you to miss it. Um, I have been in touch with the cruise organizers. It's not me. It's not. It's another company that puts on the cruise. I'm just a, a marketing partner. But um, I hear from them that they have a special deal going on right now. If you make your reservation by August 14th, you can skip the deposit, which is pretty cool. So I got that going, which is nice. Um, also, um, the marketing director tells me that there's only three cabin categories that are still like wide open. Wow. Um, and so about, the boat's filling up. Yeah, it's filling up fast. And there's a couple categories that only have about five cabins left. So if you are serious about coming, now's the time to like do something about it. So steerage class, where we are down like 40 <laughs> feet below the waterline, yeah. that's full, right? <laughs> I hope we're not steerage. We, we, we each have our own uh, hammock. Uh, we have like, <laughs> the, yeah, it's like Gilligan and the Skipper. I'll tell you which one I am. <laughs> I get the coconut pillow tonight. Yeah, scoop of pineapple, a scoop of coconut. Um, God, I used to love Gilligan's Island when I was a kid. The ships are ground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle with Gilligan, the skipper too, a millionaire and his wife, the movie star, the professor and Mary Ann here on Gilligan. Who didn't? I don't know. Some people, I'm sure. Losers. But uh, and as always, I mean, if you've never been on a cruise before, and I know some people haven't, um, it's an all-inclusive deal for the most part. All your meals are included. Your rooms are included, obviously. All the parties on board, all the concerts, um, all the theme nights. You can uh, buy spirits as many drinks as you want. <laughs> yeah, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you, you want to do me a favor, buy me a bottle of water because – what happens on a cruise t- typically for me is I, is I melt. You don't get hydrated. You got to hydrate, brother. I'm like Frosty the Alcoholic Snowman. I melt. <laughs> and um, it takes me usually about 24 to 36 hours to remember. Happy birthday. Yeah, Happy. <laughs> it, t- <laughs> it takes me about 36 hours to remember that I should be drinking like three times my weight in water. So if you see me all sweaty and clammy, it's probably because I'm, I have not been buying uh, buying enough bottled water. Um, but you know your fitness center stuff, so much of this is free, and it's just in my mind, it's still one of the best deals. A cruise in my mind is always one of the best travel deals you're ever going to find. So um, think about it some more. If you want more information, it's at the80scruise.com. Um, and if you want to get on Brad's uh, bandwagon, go to iTunes, download the first album by A Flock of Seagulls. It's amazing. Oh, you it's will such not a good album. It. L- listen to it on Spotify if you're not thinking, oh, I don't know, I drop, maybe I don't want to drop 10 bucks on this. But it's a great album. It is a great 80s album. Uh, new Wave stuff. Uh, I think I'm going to put it in my top 10 New Wave albums wow. in the 80s. 
Impressive. Very impressive. It's good. It just it covers a lot of ground. Well, it's been a fun week. I'm glad to finally have finally talked to, to Mike Score. I've been wanting to interview him for years. Uh, I can scratch that off the bucket list. In the yeah. meantime, I have about uh, a third of a Bloody Mary to finish, and then it's nap time here in 80s land. <laughs> so I'm going to queue up the end of Iran and uh, grab a pillow. And in the meantime, I will remain, along with you, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a class of 85 production. Please listen responsibly. See, that's how you do it, my friend. Boom. Boom, man. One take. One take.